So I want to talk a little bit about um, Peter this morning. Um, the disciple Peter is one of our favorite characters in the Bible, isn't he? We love him because I think he's so like us. We're so like a lot of us. Um, and so I want, to, I want to look at um, basically Peter's life, particularly the sort of the last few days around um, Jesus' death and resurrection, where Jesus, um, where Peter makes, you know, probably arguably his biggest mistake when he denies Jesus and then we see him um, getting restored. I, I want to have a look at that um, I think there's some stuff that God wants to kind of talk to us about as we set off into a new year. And the, the pressure is always kind of first Sunday back, I feel like we have to have a year-defining word. Um, I don't think I have. I think I've got a bit of the Bible, which um, pretty much could be every new morning. I don't know why we kind of, we set ourselves, that actually, okay, we can fresh start in January, maybe again in September, new school term. But actually, you know, Bible makes it super clear. Every single morning we get a fresh chance. We get a clean slate every morning, which is a beautiful thing. And so I want to read to you from... Um, from Lamentations 3, says this, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Listen, the reason you and I can live continually in hope, but absolutely in a new year as much as any other time, is because of God's faithfulness. My hope is not in my ability to get stuff right. It's not in <clears throat> my hope isn't in your ability to always get stuff right and never let me down. My hope and my confidence is in God's faithfulness, in His love that says you know, never comes to an end, and His new mercies that are unending. So I think sometimes we think there's a sort of a. I mean, we wouldn't ever say this, but I wonder whether sometimes it's kind of what we believe it. There's a quota. You know, there's this many fresh chances I get. You know, there's there's this many clean slates. God's got this amount of mercy, and once I've used up that quota, then I'm you know I'm on my own. But that's just not what it says. You know, Jeremiah, who's writing this bit of Lamentations, is like it's in a terrible period in Israel's history. Um, you know that. Babylonians are coming and, you know, it's just awful, horrible, horrendous things going on. There's nothing in Jeremiah's circumstances that meant he should be hopeful. Like it looked bleak. But what he says is, this I call to mind. The reason I have hope is God's faithfulness, his love that never ceases and his mercies that never come to an end. And you don't have to understand the original Greek to understand never comes to an end. It means it just doesn't stop. Like his love and his mercies, they just don't stop. That's why we can have hope. Not because of the situation, the circumstances we find ourselves in, but because of the faithfulness of God. And that is true this morning and every single other morning that I open my eyes and take my first breath. He's faithful. He's got new mercies for me for that day. And so I want to I look at um, that this year. Actually, you know, what it looks like to have hope. You know, my hope comes from the Lord, but the hope means it's, hope doesn't just mean wishful thinking. You know, we use it in English, don't we? Like, you know, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon because I want to go for a walk. It's kind of like, you know, wishful thinking, you know, it would be nice if. Um, it's not a very strong word when we use it like that. But biblically, hope is the confident expectation that God's good and he's going to come through. It's, a com- it's an expectation. Listen, I, that's why we can be confident. It's a confident expectation. So it, it's almost like it, it looks at something in the future in terms of God's faithfulness, his promises, his provision, and it pulls it and it changes my present, my here and now. I've got hope. Even if my situation looks tricky, my hope is in God. And so actually I have confident expectation God's got me. And that's what I want you know, to say. Every single morning we can walk into that. But to be able to walk into the new, to be able to walk into our future with hope and confidence, actually sometimes it is sensible just to kind of cast an eye behind us and make sure, actually have I dealt with my past? Because actually if we haven't, that will stop us 
walking into the new mercies that we've got available to us every single day. And listen, I think there's two ways that actually not dealing with our past means um, we get stuck. We almost get kind of like kind of handcuffed to the past and we're not able to fully walk into a hope-filled future. The first is this, is that actually when other people hurt us, sin against us, let us down, disappoint us, we're unable to forgive them and release them. And that means I am, I'm caught up, I am attached by bitterness and unforgiveness to the past and a situation in the past. And, but I'm, I'm stuck and I'm not moving forward. So that's the first way, other people's stuff attaches me to the past and it's going to limit me walking into a hope-filled future. The other way is actually is my inability to forgive myself. So my stuff, my mistakes, my sin. Actually, in the same way that unforgiveness and bitterness towards other people keeps us locked to the past, unforgiveness and regret pointed towards myself absolutely keeps me locked to the past in exactly the same way. It's the same thing happens, but it's going to hold us back. So regret or bitterness both come from this inability or unwillingness for us to forgive and release other people, but also ourselves. And I think often we kind of, you know, we we understand, I guess, about other people's sin. You know, if you've been knocking around the church, if you're kind of reading the Bible, you will know there is a repetitive command throughout the Bible to forgive other people. In the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive as you are forgiven. It's all the way through. Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's, It's consistently there. And I I think we get that. It's, listen, we might not always walk in it fully. It's not easy always, but I guess we understand and we recognize, listen, forgiveness is a big deal, forgiving other people. I wonder whether sometimes we pay less attention to the need to forgive ourselves and to release ourselves from the stuff in the past. But actually, listen, that holds us back in just the same way as an inability to forgive other people. And I want to look this morning about um, actually forgiving and releasing ourselves and daring to walk with the Lord into new mercies when we've got it wrong in the past. Because I have a suspicion, sometimes we're not so good at that. And so I want to look at Peter's story. And you know, Peter's denial and his restoration by Jesus has got so much to teach us. It's got so much to reveal about the heart of God um, and the extent of the grace and mercy that he wants to point towards us. It gives us so many helpful things to understand about, actually, how do I deal with disappointment when it's me? I'm disappointed in myself. I'm regretful over stuff I've done. Actually, what does it look like for me to accept that I'm forgiven, but forgive myself and allow myself to be embraced and restored by God again, rather than holding myself back? And, and you see this be- in this beautiful story of, of Peter um, and his denial of Jesus and Jesus calling him back into connection. There's so much that we have to learn. So we're going to kind of dip in and out of the story a little bit and look at various bits in different gospels that kind of paint the picture and tell the story. So even before it happened, so it's right at the end of Jesus' life, um, at the Last Supper, so it's his last meal with the disciples, and he's talking to them and telling them about what's going to happen. And it, so before Peter even denies Jesus, Jesus gives him a heads up and says, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen. Um, let me read to you from Luke 22. This is um, how Luke records this conversation at the Last Supper. So this is Jesus talking to Peter. And remember, Simon Peter, it kind of gets interchangeable. It's the same person. So at some points it uses Simon, other points it's Peter. It's one and the same, just to be clear. All right, so this is Luke 22, 31 to 34. It says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Uh, may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, 
Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus answered him, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. So we know that story really well. Um, it's interesting, Luke's um, record, that verse 32 is super interesting. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. I've been reading some stuff that um, Katia Adams has written about this. Do you remember Julian and Katia Adams, a beautiful couple, live in South Africa now, came, spent some time with this a couple of years ago. Amazing. Katia is a brilliant teacher and thinker. And she was writing, she's written a whole blog about kind of this episode in Peter's life. And I want to read, she says it much better than I can. So I'm going to read directly from her about these verses from Luke. So she says this, we often read these verses thinking that when Jesus is praying for Simon's faith not to fail, he's praying that Peter won't betray him. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at at all, because in the very next sentence, Jesus makes it clear, actually, Peter will fail, but will then turn back. So verse 32, let me read it to you again. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. The catcher goes on, I think the faith that Jesus is praying for is not the faith that stops the mistake, but the faith that helps us to continue believing in his words declared over us, in what he's called us to be after the mistake is made, so we're able to turn back and strengthen others. What Jesus is drawing you towards and strengthening you for is the ability to accept his grace over you, for the courageous faith to believe him, even when you no longer feel like a person worthy to carry his promises. The power to turn back and strengthen the brothers is the power to forgive yourself and believe Jesus' words over you once again. That's beautiful. That's the invitation that Jesus was making to Peter. That's the new mercies. That's the invitation that I feel he's extending to some of us this morning. That power to turn back and strengthen the brothers it's the power to forgive yourself and believe what Jesus says about you again. It's the faith to keep believing I am who he says I am, even if I made a mistake. Because listen, you didn't become who he says you are because you never had made a mistake. Like You didn't get in on anything you did or didn't do. You got in on the grace and mercy of Jesus and what he did at the cross. But sometimes we think somehow we're actually, I didn't, you know, I, I get in through grace, but I have to stay in through doing the right thing. You didn't get into the kingdom through having never made a mistake. So you don't get booted out when you do make a mistake. There's grace. There's so much grace because his mercies are new every morning because his love never ceases. That's the deal. Because we make mistakes. Listen, what are we? Seven, day, seven days in. Who's made a mistake yet in 2018? I am in double figures. Probably just even for this weekend. Right? I've, I've made mistakes. We make mistakes. We get stuff wrong. Um, but listen... If we allow our mistakes to be defining and dictating in how we walk forward, then we've missed it. I'm defined by what the Lord says about me, not the sum total of the good, the bad, and in between. Like it's grace and it's mercy. It's what he's done. So accepting God's grace towards us is, is so important. Um, and even before, even before Peter had missed it, even before he'd made arguably his greatest mistake, um, Jesus was already speaking words of grace and mercy to reposition Peter back into identity and purpose. Even before it even happened, he was saying, listen, I'm going to pray for your faith. When you turn back, strengthen the brothers. He was looking beyond to a future hope. I don't, Peter didn't clock it at the time, but that's what he was doing. But then Peter had to go on this journey, and, and this is what you see is this journey of actually Peter allowing himself to be forgiven, to forgive himself and to allow himself to be embraced 
and restored into who God said he was. And like Peter, listen, it's offered to us. Grace and restoration, mercies that are new every morning are offered to us every morning. You and I have to accept them though. And I just wonder sometimes whether we're not so good at doing that. One of the other things I love about this story is, um, is Peter wasn't willfully rebellious and defiantly sinning against Jesus when he denied him. He sinned out of weakness. And I want to be careful here. Sin is sin. Like missing the mark is missing the mark. We need to own that and deal with that. But you know, when Peter said, um, when Jesus says, hey, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me, Peter's response is classic Peter, isn't it? He's like all in. He's like, no way. I'd go to prison. I'd even die for you. Listen, I don't think that was just rhetorical. I don't think that was a figure of speech. I absolutely think Peter meant that, 100%, heart and soul. Absolutely. He meant it in that moment. And I think Jesus saw that, and I think Jesus knew that. Like He believed. He's like, I, I know that that's your heart. That was his heart. But actually, you know, fast forward a couple of days, and he's, you know, Jesus has been arrested, and, and like Peter can see this whole thing building up and genuinely was fearing his life. Like I, I've never been in fear of my life for saying I know Jesus, never. I think sometimes we read the Gospels, don't we, and think, oh, gosh, Peter, gosh, I'd have done so much better. I'm not sure I would. Like Peter's heart, Jesus, I'd go to prison, I'd even die for you, absolutely remained. But out of weakness and human frailty and fear, all that stuff won in the moment. He's like, no, I don't even know him. But his heart hadn't changed. And you see that because as soon as the rooster crows, it says, the, it says in the Gospels, Peter went out and wept bitterly. He's like, ah. Oh. Man, like his heart was unchanged. He's Jesus, I'd follow you even to death. And yet in the moment, he missed it. The thing I love is Jesus doesn't despise our weakness. He doesn't despise our humanness. Again, I'm not saying that this is a get out for live how you like, doesn't matter. It matters. But he knows and he understands. We see it in Gethsemane. You know, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to the disciples, hey, come with me, pray with me, stay up with me. And uh, they say, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they all fall asleep. And he goes back to them, he's like, Oh, couldn't you even stay awake for an hour? And he, he says this beautiful phrase, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't think he's saying that with a wagging finger. I think he's just, he's acknowledging their weakness. He's like, hey, I know your heart and your spirit is that you're with me. And, and yet, exhaustion won. Like, God acknowledges, he doesn't despise our weakness. I honestly think we despise our own weakness. Jesus is so much kinder than we realize. And he's so much kinder to us than we are to ourselves and to each other. He doesn't despise our weakness. And that isn't a get out for it doesn't matter what we do. I've made that clear, right? That's not what I'm saying. But honestly, there's a difference between defiantly sinning and saying, okay, this is God's will for my life, but I don't care. Two fingers to that. I'm going to go and have an affair because that's what I want to do. It's defiant rebellion against God, right? We get that that's not okay. But listen, even if it's where we find ourselves, I think that's what David and Bathsheba's story is all about. David defiantly and consistently went after an immoral relationship. Like, he knew that was wrong. He had multiple opportunities to kind of bail out, and he kept going and kept going, don't care. But even in that situation, you know, David shows such a contrite. When he's confronted with his sin, his response is, yeah, I did it. I'm sorry. Confession and repentance. Listen, confession and repentance is the normal Christian life. It's not just what you do when you get saved. It's every time you miss it. But whether we miss it because we're def you know, we know what God's standards is and we choose to walk the other way, or whether actually, like Peter, it's like, oh, do you know what? Spirit is willing, but uh, flesh is weak. Jesus doesn't despise your weakness, and he doesn't define you 
by your mistakes, but honestly, so often we define ourselves by our mistakes. We allow ourselves to be disqualified. So it's not about doing what you like. It's not about sin and, and it doesn't matter. But there is a difference between, you know, weakness and intentional rebellion. Sin is sin, requires confession, repentance, but grace is so much bigger than we know. So we move on in the story a little bit. So Jesus is, has been crucified, he's been put in the tomb, and, and you know the story where the women go to the tomb after three days and they go and the stones roll away, tomb is empty and there's angels in the tomb. Listen to what the angels say to the women at the tomb. This is from Mark 16, verse 7. He says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Isn't it interesting? I think it's interesting. Tell his disciples and Peter. Peter is specifically named out of all the disciples. No other time in the Gospels. Otherwise, they're just the disciples. They're just the gang. It's all of them lumped together. They are the one. Very specifically, you know, God, through the angels, says to the women, go and find the disciples and Peter. He's like, specifically tell Peter. It's really important. Now, why is that? Why is that in there? I don't think it's because God had discounted Peter and it's like, well, here's the disciples and because of what Peter's done, you know, he's now on his own. I don't think it's that at all, that he was discounted and disqualified. But I just wonder whether in Peter's heart that is who he was. Actually, he was seeing himself as separate and cut off and disqualified because of what he'd done. Peter's recent failing, his recent mistake, I think had so clouded things for him. He was unable to see past his weakness. He was unable to see past his mistake. And, and so Jesus knew that he needed a personal specific call. Tell Peter. That's such a beautiful thing. Jesus spoke through that cloud of disappointment and regret and shame and said, hey, Peter, I still see you. You're still mine. That, like that is, I think that's one verse is so beautiful. That's the heart of God to speak through our regret, to speak through our disappointment and call us back and say, hey, you're still mine. I see you as one who follows me. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's calling Peter to come back and believe the words that Jesus had spoken over him, where his, in his regret, he was disqualifying and discounting himself. And so the story moves on, and then ultimately in John 21, we see this beautiful interaction um, of Peter's restoration. So they Peter's gone back fishing. Now, you could overthink this, you could read more into it, but it's interesting to me that, you know, Peter is when, he was fishing when he was called, right? He was mending his nets and Jesus said, hey, follow me. And the Bible says he left everything to follow Jesus. So he left that stuff completely behind. So at this point in the story in John 21, Peter has seen the risen Jesus at least twice that we know of that's recorded in the Bible. So at least twice he's seen Jesus. He's seen that he's, he's raised from the dead just like he said he would. And yet Peter's gone back to his old life. Peter's gone back fishing. Now, you know, it may be he just, you know, fancied some leisure time. He wanted some downtime. Fishing with his guys was the thing he wanted to do. It could be that. I just wonder whether it wasn't. It was actually about him reverting back to actually, you know, what I was called to and what I was walking in, I've blown it. So I need to go back to where I was. I need to go back fishing to what I, where I was. He's resigned himself to having been disqualified from actually what God's plan and purpose was for him. And so you see Jesus and Peter have this beautiful dialogue where three times Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. Three times, we understand, like, right? The three times he says that is to cancel out, to completely disempower, to break any sort of residue of the three times where Peter said, I don't even know this guy. So three times, we understand that this is a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Actually, for every time he said, I don't know him, he now has the chance to say, yeah, I love him. 
Three times it cancels it out. Listen, not three times because Jesus needed convincing. I think three times because Peter needed convincing. He really was forgiven. That really was done and dusted. But then it moves on. Let me read from John 21, verses 17 to 19. This is the third time. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. If we think this little interaction between Jesus and Peter is just about Jesus forgiving him, we've missed it. That's only half of the story. What is stunning to me is the way Jesus reconnects Peter to his purpose. Let me explain it. So in that bit we read in Luke at the Last Supper when Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no way, I'd go to prison, I'd even die for you. Like That was his heart. He's like, I would follow you even if it costs me everything. In Jesus saying to him, listen, Peter, one day you're going to go somewhere where you don't even want to go. By even saying actually prophesying the way that Peter was going to die. And ultimately, Peter did. He, he was martyred for his faith. Jesus is reconnecting him, saying, I still see you as Peter, who would follow me even to death. It's like he's reconnecting him to be a radical follower and lover of Jesus. It, it, it's, can you see it? It's so much more than, you know, you're forgiven for having denied me. It's reconnecting him, recommissioning him to his purpose. Which is why I think, again, he, he ends this little episode and says to him, follow me, which is the first thing that Jesus said to Peter. It reconnects him to be a follower. It's so much more than just forgiveness. In, you know, in the moment around that fire when people were saying, hey, you know Jesus, don't you? Like Peter's fear won. Peter's fear of death, value for his own life, won. But Jesus is prophesying, listen, I'm going to restore you so much that actually, ultimately, you are going to pay the ultimate price. And church tradition says that you know, Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not willing to die in the same way that Jesus did. Stunning. That actually, but in this interaction, can you see, Jesus was restoring him to purpose, not just forgiving his mistake. But it required Peter to receive that, to believe that, and to start walking in it again. To follow him, again, the exact same call as when Jesus first spoke those words to him. That's beautiful. It's like Jesus saying, listen, everything that's gone in the last few days is done. It's finished. I still see you as one who'd follow me. But Peter had to, Peter had to respond to that. And we have to respond to that. And ultimately, it's about understanding the fullness of grace that is yes to forgive us when we get it wrong. But actually, his mercies that are new every morning restore us to identity and purpose, our ultimate destiny in the Lord, because there's a difference. Peter could have settled for being a forgiven fisherman, but actually what Jesus wanted to do was to restore him to be, Jesus, to be Peter, the rock, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't even stand against me. That was Peter's purpose and destiny and identity and calling, to be one that actually Jesus would build a church on. That's why he said to him, when he was praying for him in Luke, I prayed that your faith won't fail, but when you turn back, strengthen my brothers, because ultimately I'm building my church on you. Peter could have absolutely settled for being a forgiven fisherman. And can you understand the analogy? Don't we sometimes? And listen, that would be, to be forgiven of my sins is amazing. 
and would already be more than enough. But the thing is, there just is more for us, which is being restored to purpose and function. But so often, we allow regret and disappointment and shame over our past mistakes to define and dictate us things going forward. Listen, you are not defined by your mistakes. You're defined by the price that Jesus paid and what he says about you. But you have to choose to take hold of that and walk with that because the enemy would love to whisper in your ear, but yes, you did that. But yes, you made that mistake. But then that went wrong and then that happened. And that somehow that disqualified. And I think that's where Peter was at. Understanding Jesus has risen. Gosh, I am, for, you know, for, I'm a friend again. But actually... Jesus had to really go after things with him to actually restore him into purpose and function. That's what this whole story is about, and I love it. Jesus' offer for you and I is restoration to actually purpose and destiny and identity. But you and I have to forgive ourselves. We have to receive the forgiveness from the Lord, but we have to forgive ourselves. Let the past go in order to walk into this future of hope and purpose that he has for us. It's about understanding, is his grace sufficient or is it abundant? And actually the answer is it's both, right? Romans 5 verse 7 says this, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Listen, his grace is sufficient to forgive all of my sin, but it is also abundant to restore me, to reign in life. That's what it says. How much more will those, that's you and I, who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's what's available to us. That's what this story with Peter was about, the abundant grace to restore Peter to reign in life. I think reigning in life is me walking in the fullness of what God's called me to do and be. That's how we do it. And it's all grace. It's all grace, folks. But we have a, I think we have a, a, a limited understanding of grace if we think it's just forgiveness for our sin with, you know, from the past without understanding it's restoration for a hope-filled future. But regret, disappointment, shame is going to keep you locked from that. It's going to keep you as a forgiven fisherman rather than being the rock rather than being actually who Jesus has called you to be. And for Peter, it was the rock that he was going to build the church on. It's amazing. And listen, I think this is where we get stuck in the past. Um, And whether that's my need to forgive other people, whether that's my need to forgive myself and forgive and release, means actually, do you know what? You don't owe me anymore. It's because we get into the habit of thinking, we start doing the maths, basically, and we start thinking, all righty, you owe me. You hurt me, and so you owe me. Um, And, you know, you don't deserve my forgiveness. You haven't earned it. And we, start, we come into this language and this thinking. We might not do it consciously, but our thinking is, is about what is owed, what is deserved, what is earned. It's the wrong way of thinking. That's not what it's like in the kingdom. But I think it's the same when our ability or inability to forgive ourselves is because we come into this, well, listen, I don't deserve it. Actually, do you know what I do? I have a big bill. I did get that wrong, like, and we did. I think that's where Peter was stuck. I am convinced what kept him stuck and backfishing, disqualified from actually his purpose, was because he was doing the maths and realizing I keep coming up short. I I don't deserve it. I I denied even knowing him, and he's just died for me. Like he was doing the maths all the time, trapped in this regret over what had happened. I don't deserve it. Listen, 
I want to gently say to you, constantly asking yourself, do I deserve it, is entirely the wrong question. I can tell you the answer to that is no. Like, you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But that's the whole point of grace. It's not what I deserve, and it isn't what I have earned. And I absolutely owe. I have a huge bill. But Jesus has paid it. But actually, we have to choose to walk in that. I think sometimes it's like, you know, Jesus has paid the bill. It's like you're in a restaurant. You know, you've had this meal, and the bill has been paid, but somehow we're still in the kitchen desperately scrubbing pots of pans to try and pay off. What Jesus has just, he's cleared it with his, it's done. He's paid the bill and then some. But we still think we've got to pay for our past mistakes. And listen, you don't. We do, that isn't what grace is. And so coming into these questions of, you know, do I deserve it? Wrong question. The right question is, am I worth it? And if the cross of Jesus tells us anything, it's that God says you're worth it. It's the same with my view of other people and other people sin or hurt and let me down. And just Actually, do they deserve my forgiveness? No, often they don't. Have they earned it? Quite possibly not. The question is, are they worth it? And actually, ultimately, am I worth it? Because I am the only one who actually suffers by staying in unforgiveness. I'm the one who gets stuck. Matthew 18, story of the unforgiving servant. You may know the story super well. The guy has a massive debt. He owes the king a huge amount he can't possibly pay off. And the king just says, hey, I've got it. Writes off the bill, you know, cancels the debt completely. Same servant who's just been forgiven this huge debt goes out, sees his buddy who owes him a little bit. And he's like, you know, grabs him by the scruff of the neck and says, you know, pay me what you owe me. The king hears about this, and, and this unforgiving servant who was forgiven this massive debt is thrown into prison. What's the, what's the lesson? You need to forgive other people. Yes. But it's bigger than that. It's actually about understanding grace. Now, actually, we live, live in a kingdom now where um, the Phillips translation is this beautiful verse in, um, in Romans chapter 5, I think. It talks about grace is the ruling factor. Like grace is the standard. So in the story of the unforgiving servant is, is listen, that he was wanting to live under one standard, which is his debt, massive debt, was completely cancelled. Not because he earned it, not because he deserved it, and he definitely owed the king, but the king, out of his generosity, forgave that debt. Listen, we can't live under one standard and extend something different to other people. And that, that was why this guy ended up in prison, because he was happy to have his debt paid and by grace and by mercy, and yet what he wanted to live under in terms of where other people are at is what is owed and deserved and earned. It's like you can't have both. That's why he ended up in prison. And the thing is, we end up in prison. There's this verse in Matthew 18, this story of the unforgiving servant that says he was handed over into prison, given over to the prisoners until he could pay what he owed. So the story is this. Listen, you, you choose. Either we're under grace or we're under law. Either we're under grace and what is given freely that we don't earn and deserve, and that's what we extend to other people. But if we choose to you know, treat other people in terms of well, what they owe me and what I deserve from them, we position ourselves back under, actually, well, then I need to pay the bill for my stuff. And I definitely don't want to pay the bill for my stuff because Jesus has paid it. But the standard is grace, and that is applied to myself, but I need to apply that to other people when I need to forgive them. But that's sideways. I don't want to talk so much about forgiving other people. But can you see the principle? It's about understanding grace is the ruling factor, not doing the maths. It's not about what is owed, earned, or deserved. It's about grace that is freely given. So it's recognizing, do I deserve it? 
Don't keep asking that question, or do, but recognize the answer is no, and then move on. The more important question is, are you worth it? And he says, yes, you are. But listen, disappointment in ourselves, you know, being unwilling or unable to forgive ourselves means actually we keep ourselves from God's grace and his mercy, his new mercies that he's got for us every single morning. We can't walk into those if we're constantly allowing ourselves to be defined or disqualified by a mistake we made in the past whether that was willful, defiant rebellion or whether that was weakness because we're frail humans and we get it wrong sometimes. Those things do not need to define us. Doesn't mean we don't have to learn from our mistakes. Of course we do. Of course like, there are, there's consequences. When I get stuff wrong, I, I have to pay attention to that. But listen, the stuff that I take forward into a new season is what do I need to learn? What do I need to get stronger in? Where do I need to become more mature? Where do I actually okay, I need to do things differently? Those things I can take into the new season. Regret and shame and self-condemnation, I can't take into the new season. I, get, I stay stuck if that's the way I approach it. At some point, we have to choose to take God out of his word. His grace really is that abundant. It really is enough. We have to take hold of those. The key is, listen, your identity and your God-given calling and purpose can absolutely be restored regardless of the mistakes that you've made. And listen, this is Romans 8, it says, in all things he works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. At some point we have to just choose to believe him. In all things, in my greatest mistake, I need to pay attention to that, I need to own it, I need to confess, I need to repent, I need to learn, I need to change, absolutely. But in all of that, he's working for my good. That's how big his grace is. We have, to, we have to understand that restoration to purpose is the goal. And actually, we are missing it if we resign ourselves to being cut off or disqualified, being trapped in the old and settling for being a forgiven fisherman rather than restored into purpose. To really live in the reality of God's unending love, his mercies that never come to an end, means we have to deal with the past. We have to forgive and release, whether that's other people but also when it's ourselves. Sometimes we're so harsh with ourselves. You know, we'll go over and over and over things and berate ourselves. And listen, we just, we just don't need to go down that path. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So we stand. I want us to pray for one another.